the theme on the bulletin this morning from John 4.35. I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So uh, several weeks ago when the elders were praying and discussing about what it would be a good theme to feature on the fifth Sunday, we thought, you know, how we came to Christ may be a motivator for all of us as we think through back to our own experiences and all of us have different experiences as as many people as there are in this room this morning that's how many experiences we have of how people came to Christ of course Jesus said in John 6:44 no one comes to the, me unless the father who sent me draws him so we want to be very clear that salvation is always God's work but we see this too in 2 Corinthians 5:20 therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us So even though this is God's work, salvation is always God's work from start to finish and everything in between. We have the privilege of being ambassadors because God makes his appeal through us. And then, of course, there's the Great Commission, which we read in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, the word tells us that we will be his witnesses. So when we come to Christ, we are his witnesses. The only question is, is what kind of a witness will we be? Will we be a good witness? Will we be a faithful witness? And will we be faithful to do uh, the Great Commission, to participate, to be his ambassadors as God makes his appeal through us? So though it's clear that salvation is entirely God's work, it's also clear that he sovereignly chooses to use each one of us in that work. So today, one of the things we're going to do, not one of the things, the thing we're going to do is look at how four of our members came to Christ. Because though God's the one who draws us to Jesus, he always uses a variety of ways to make them happen. And our hope and prayer is that all of us have a role. All of us are his witnesses, and all of us need to look for and pray for opportunities in relationships. I think we'll see as we uh, work through each of the four individuals this morning, the different ways God uses. I think a couple of the things that he uses very consistently, more than others, and certainly not limited to this, is he uses relationships. Can't we see that very clearly? And he also uses challenging circumstances to get our attention. And then maybe through a relationship, he will draw us to himself. You know, for me, it was both things. As a 16-year-old living in western New York, I had a friend uh, whose brother that I also knew uh, died in a car wreck. And I was a good Catholic boy, and I I had uh, a religious upbringing, but not a Christian upbringing in that sense. Although I do believe that my Catholic upbringing truly laid the foundation for the faith that I have today. But for me, it was both because I had that kind of catastrophe in my life, and it got me seriously thinking about spiritual things and what happens after you die. And then almost immediately after that happened, I met the girl next door. And I wasn't thinking about spiritual things, I have to admit, but the girl next door and I struck up a relationship, and she was my girlfriend for a while. But her family led me to the Lord. And so I look back now and I see how, as Jim Garrett likes to say, God moved the chess pieces around, the chess pieces of my life and my relationships and how he did that. It's interesting, uh, how many of you have heard the word eucatastrophe? 
Okay. Eucatastrophe is a sudden turn of events at the end of a story which ensures that the protagonist does not meet some terrible, impending and very plausible and probable doom. And this word was developed by J.R.R. Tolkien. He coined the word by affixing the Greek prefix eu, eu, to the, which means good, to catastrophe. And a lot of us came to Christ because of a good catastrophe. Right? I didn't in the sense that uh, nothing really bad happened to me, but it was something that... Now, some of us here can look at our uh, story of how we came to Christ and say, you know, it's because I went to jail or I was using drugs. or I mean, I, my story's not nearly that interesting, and I'm not going to tell you my story here this morning. Just to say that God uses anything. God can and will use anything and anybody in our lives, sometimes even unbelievers, to bring us to Christ. So this morning, we're going to hear from Tammy Franklin, in this order. Tammy Franklin, Tammy, why don't you be coming now? Uh, Caleb Clutter, Margo Anderson, and Jason Lawrence. Tammy, come on up. And we're going to hear their stories of how they came to Christ. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to it, hearing these stories. So. I've told this story so many times, it's kind of boring to me. But, and a lot of you know it, but I'll go ahead and tell it again. Um, about, it was eight years ago when my ex-husband left me. And um, it wasn't a great marriage, but it was my second marriage. So I was trying even harder on this one. Even though, it, it, there were a lot of reasons it wasn't worth saving. But, um, Okay, so he left me, and at the time, I was still grieving the loss of my oldest son. It had been 10 years, but it was just something I, I couldn't get over. So those two things coupled left me in a really dark place. And I remember one day I was uh, just walking around in the yard, just thinking, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because... Yeah, he had left me in a lot of debt and left me depressed. I, I was so depressed, and I don't know if any of y'all can relate, but when you get very low, you can't even think. You just can't even think of what to do. Um, okay, so anyway, um, one day, this day, I was walking around out in the yard, and I looked up at the sky, and I said, God, is this all there is to life? just being born and then suffering and then dying is this all there is there's got to be more than this anyway so the day progressed and that evening my son called me and he said um, he said mom are you still going to go on vacation with us we had an annual family vacation and I said no I'm just too upset I'm too upset I, I'm just going to stay home and he said, come on, Mom, the, you've already made the reservations, everything's paid for, come on and go with us. So I really didn't want to, but I said, okay, I would. I, if I could find somebody to feed the animals, I would go. So, and I wasn't really going to look too hard, but I had seen Carl Eason out in his yard working all the time, always out enjoying his yard. 
And uh, I thought, well, you know, he might enjoy doing something like that. So I went next door and I, I introduced myself. I don't think we'd ever been properly introduced, but I introduced myself. And uh, I said, um, I'm going on vacation and I don't have anybody to feed my animals. Would you, is that something you would want to do or consider doing? And he said, sure. So, so he did. And uh, I went on vacation and tried to put on a happy face. And, and it was good that I went. It was good to be surrounded by my kids. And, you know, they supported me and loved me kind of through this hard time. And, uh, okay, so I come back and I go next door and I ask Carl what I owe him. And he tells me, well, Doris and I talked and we decided if you would have a Bible study with us, that would be payment enough. So I was in a tight spot financially, so I was glad. I mean, this was great. This was great for me. So I said, sure. So we started having a Bible study once a week for about four weeks, I think, maybe more. Um, and then, uh, let's see. He asked me, uh, Carl asked me one day, we'd had our Bible study, and he said, so um, do you uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I, I, I hesitated, and I was thinking, and oh, I didn't really want to commit, you know, but he said, if you do, just say it. And so I said it. I said it. Yes, I do. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then, um, after that, in fact, it might have been that same evening, Carl asked me to start coming to church with them um, on Sundays and Wednesday night Bible study. And I said, oh, no, no, I can't go to church. I'm, I'm not good enough for church. And Carl laughed. He laughed. And he said, oh, we don't go to church because we're good enough. We go to church because we're sinners. We're all sinners. That's why we go to church. And that was like mind blown, you know. I, I never looked at it that way. So I started coming on Wednesday nights to uh, Bible study. The first one I came was a potluck, which was really great because, you know, we had the, the time ahead of the study to visit and talk, eat and enjoy company. And um, then we had our study, and I thought... They were reading Romans and the writings of Paul. And I thought, oh, man, I am never going to get this. They were so knowledgeable, everybody in the room. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I just thought, I'll never get this. I'll never get it. Well, I was wrong. I got it. <laughs> and, uh, but that was God. He, he lifted that veil. And, uh, okay, so anyway, where was it? Um, that, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And then I've just been coming to church and learning and sharing the good news with my family and my friends outside of church. And um, I just think it's so wonderful how God works because, like you were saying a minute ago, he took what seemed like to me the worst thing ever. And then turned it around to be the greatest blessing ever in my life. And I just hope that I can bless other people like I've been blessed with the good news of God's kingdom. 
And then there were a few, a few things, a few scriptures that stood out to me that kind of made a difference. Of course, the whole Bible speaks to me, speaks to all of us. But one was uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody knows that one. But I never knew. I mean, I always kind of believed in God. I didn't know he believed in me until I read that scripture. I thought, wow, he wants, he wants good things for me? Cool. So, uh, and then, of course, 2 Corinthians 3.16, the veil was lifted to where before. I, I tried reading the Bible a couple of times before. I just never could get it. I, it just didn't make sense to me. But now, all of a sudden, when I read it, oh, man, it, meant not only, it not only made sense to me, it applied to me. All of it. So much of it. And then, um, let's see. Oh, Romans. Romans 13, 14. When I first started coming to Bible study on Wednesday nights, a lot of times I would just sit there and cry. I was so depressed, so upset. And they would have the study, and I would just sit over there and wipe my eyes the whole time. And then at one point we were in Romans 13, and Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ, and don't even think about how to satisfy the sinful desires of the human nature. The sinful desires of your nature. But, but anyway, the words that stood out to me were, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Because I was ruminating on this marriage that ended and blaming myself, beating myself up about it. And it, it wasn't... Well, first of all, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't all my fault. Second of all, I just needed to stop thinking about it. And that scripture, and I still point this out to people today. I tell them, just don't think of it. Don't even think about it. And my kids, I use that a lot on them. But anyway, so it, to close, I just want to say that those, there's that poem, Footprints in the Sand. And my journey, the first part of it, was kind of like that I read that poem it makes me cry because Doris and Carl picked me up and carried me I mean God was doing the, the work but Carl and Doris were doing the heavy lifting <laughs> and they brought you know if it hadn't been and God knew exactly who to put next to me or who to put me next to right. you know um, so and, and also I'll say this one last thing and then I'll stop but every time they used to play Amazing Grace I would just just cry, just stand over there and cry because he did. He saved a wretch like me. And, and I'm so grateful and so blessed. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so, kind of going along with what Bill said earlier um, about relationships and difficult circumstances, um, that was an excellent, you know, little tidbit because that fits right into my story. Um, I was, uh, just some background information, um, as a lot of you know, I kind of grew up in this church. I was baptized right there uh, when I was about five years old, but if they made a biopic about my life, um, I think I would be 
an excellent example of a Christian on one day and the other six days of the week, I was nowhere close to a Christian. Um, and that kind of carried on through high school um, all the way up until college. Um, I would come to church, put on that Christian mask, um, and then go back, go back home and revert to a completely different person. And so this would actually change um, through when I went to college. I went to the University of Tulsa, and I made some very good relationships that kind of helped me um, dig deep into my faith in a way that I just had never experienced before. Um, and so I remember on the first uh, couple days of college, uh, there was an activities fair, and uh, me and uh, my dad were kind of walking around looking at all the booths, and there was one booth that uh, kind of stood out. Um, it was called Brothers Under Christ, and it was a uh, Christian organization, a Christian fraternity that um, was on many different campuses across the United States. Uh, my brother Daniel was a founding father of uh, Brothers Under Christ at Oklahoma State. And so I struck up a conversation with some of the guys at the table, and they were really genuinely good guys, genuinely nice, and um, they kind of, you know, challenged me. I gave them my phone number, and then a couple days later, they reached out, and I had lunch with one of the guys, and I decided that um, it, was, it was now time to kind of not have my parents' faith, so to speak, but to really have my own faith and kind of dig deep in my own personal life. And so um, just due to that uh, simple interaction, um, I kind of went forward on a path and I made some relationships uh, that I'm going to talk about here. And um, so the really the gist of my story uh, kind of goes along with... Um, what I call the, the Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy concept. It was taught to me um, by one of the uh, relationships that I'm going to talk about. Um, he was my Paul. And I'll kind of talk about how um, each relationship is kind of how that interaction works. Um, and so first off, I'm going to talk about my Paul. And um, a Paul is kind of your mentor, someone who has kind of walked in that road um, before you and knows what you're going through and, and those struggles. Um, and my Paul uh, was a, he's the head of the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at the University of Tulsa. His name is Brandon Brister. And I met him uh, kind of going, just trying testing out what all the campus ministries were about. And I, I talked with him and um, he did a Bible study uh, once a week. And so I decided to attend um, and he well, he really took time after the Bible study to kind of pour into me and, and just really get that one-on-one -on -one relationship that was so crucial um, because I was kind of lost in, in college. It's one of those difficult circumstances that you go, you're alone, you, you're doing a lot of schoolwork, and you can just kind of let your faith go by the wayside. But he was someone who had kind of – he walked this road before, and he understood how to balance your faith and balance your, your academics and – um, so he was just really important to my life, and he was kind of that stable rock that I could always go to whenever I was struggling with any, any sin or any problem in the world. Um, and so that's my Paul. My Barnabas, uh, Barnabas, um, he was kind of Paul's friend in, in Acts. We see that the, Paul and Barnabas traveled together, and that Barnabas was uh, definitely a key person in Paul's life, and 
that is where the organization of Brothers Under Christ came in. And these were, there were about 30 of us. We're all, you know, in college dealing with the same thing. And um, while there's your Paul, that's kind of your guiding rock, your Barnabas are people that are also being mentored along with you, guys that are struggling with the same things you are. And it was just so important for me to kind of be able to have someone I could relate to in my struggles um, with my faith and guys that were eager to not only serve the campus, but serve the city of Tulsa um, in just many different ways. And so that kind of inspired me to really um, make service and make serving others kind of an important part of um, my identity um, and my faith. Uh, and so we had many Bible studies, and um, I could say without, uh, without these guys that I would still be one of those Christians that only had a shallow, deep faith, or very shallow faith. Um, yeah, so moving on kind of to my Timothy. Um, and Timothy is someone who you are mentoring. Um, and my story about Timothy, um, I had a friend who was an international student. His name was Yingzi. And I met him, he lived right by me in the dorm, and we also, um, interestingly enough, we worked together at the gym, and so we, our relationship didn't really go very deep, we were just kind of, we would talk about sports or schoolwork or something, but then uh, one, one day, freshman year, um, he saw me and my brothers in Brothers Under Christ uh, doing a prayer walk around campus, and we were walking in front of all the fraternity houses and we were just praying over them and he recognized me, came over and we started talking and, and he asked me, you know, what, what I was doing and I, I told him that, yeah, I'm in Brothers Under Christ and this is kind of how we're trying to serve the campus and so that really struck up a, a pretty interesting conversation. We stood there in front of a random fraternity house for about 45 minutes and I was just explaining to him kind of my faith and, and what I believe and he, he really was um, curious about um, just kind of how my faith worked. Um, he had never really heard of a lot of the intricacies of Christianity and, and a lot of those things. And so now, whenever, after that moment, after I'd see him, he would have so many different questions about Christianity. And, and there were a lot of tough questions, you know, like, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? A lot of questions that a lot of new believers and, and people who don't believe struggle with. And so um, due to these other relationships, my Paul and my Barnabas, um, I was able to go to them and, and kind of seek advice and seek counsel of, of how, how to really handle and nurture this relationship uh, with my friend Yingzi. And so this relationship continued for about two years. And then finally, um, one day in my junior year, I invited Yingza to uh, BCM or Baptist Collegiate Ministry. They have a service every Tuesday night. And I invited him and um, I was kind of surprised, but he, he showed up and I introduced him to Brandon. And, and we had a really good conversation. And um, at the end of the night, uh, it was a very powerful message. And at the end of the night, I, I kind of asked Yingza um, what he thought about, you know, being a Christian and and believing in you know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and and he was very receptive. And um, at the end of about a 45-minute just kind of talk between him, uh, me, and Brandon, he decided to give uh, his life to the Lord. And so 
That was one of the most powerful moments um, in my spiritual walk is nurturing someone from a guy who really doesn't know much about the faith to, to someone who wants to become a, a full-hearted Christian. And, and I could see, just in closing, that these three relationships were really kind of what dug me deep into my faith. Because if you have a rock, um, someone who you can go to, and you have other guys who are going through the same thing, and then you have another guy who you can mentor, um, it just becomes a very strong connection to the Lord as, as you're constantly praying and constantly reading the word, uh, looking for ways to strengthen your relationship, not only with those guys, but with everyone around the campus. And so I'm going to close with a Bible verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to a faithful man who will be able to teach it to others also. Thank you. about making your parents' faith yours. That was good. Um, My testimony is not really about finding the Lord. It's not the one that dabbled in drugs and found the Lord. Um, It's the one that I knew the Lord and had a deeply entrenched root of rebellion that the Lord delivered me from. So this testimony is more about the deliverance. When I was seven, mom put me in a Bible study class. I take a big, big breath. <clears throat> and that was a miracle because my family had no faith whatsoever, never went to church, but, you know, God knows. So I accepted the Lord that night. I was right. And, um, of course, there was no follow-up. Then I loved my mother, but my, she was very, very, very controlling and I won't even go into details. But my big pathway to freedom was college and freedom, and really it was bondage. And I came away with, I came away with eating disorders. I used stimulants to study. I had sexual immorality. And when I got home, I found meth. That was a big problem. And then I found my ex-husband, who was as messed up as I was, Maybe I'll say even more, but that's, <laughs> I need to look at that. Anyway, um, so anyway, as a doctor would say, the marriage did not have a good prognosis. It was bad. But two good things came out of it besides my kids. Um, I got born again. And a client of his asked me to a Bible study. And at that Bible study, the Lord knows what lore is going to get you. He knows exactly, and... I love the word, and I took a book home, and it said, the Bible is the truth. And the anointing fell, I went down, and I knew that I knew that I knew that God was, God was real. And all sin fell from me at that point, but not for long. <laughs> um, I did ask my husband or my ex-husband to go to church, or I would leave. And he went like the second time, and I saw this white thing kind of come down on him. I was in the choir. He comes forward, accepts the Lord, looks up at me, and says, it's not because of you. (laughs) It obviously wasn't because of me. Anyway, um, I thought thought things would not get better, but I had no clue of how bad they were going to get. 
And his violence got to such a place that my life was in danger, and I took my son and I left. And he somehow find, found me, kidnapped my son back. It was really very ugly. And so I left. And I went back into sin. Now that little act, not a little act, but that act of disobedience after I found him um, cost me big time. I had a failed marriage, two children that are probably, well, possibly permanently estranged from me. It was bad. And I floundered around, and then I knew I needed help, and I looked at programs, and I found the Jesus Inn. <clears throat> it was the only thing open. Can you imagine? <laughs> it was a bastion of light for me. It gave me the discipleship that I really needed and hadn't had. So there were mentors that walked the walk. I had found TCF. There were all kinds of teachings. I knew I found that I loved scripture, and I loved to memorize it. But there was one thing, as much as I loved the word, that somehow it fell on fallow, fallow, shallow soil. And that was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, I think I was more in the take mode, not in the give mode. And um, anyway, God tested me. It was a big test, and I failed. So the Lord took me out of that ministry and took me around for a mountain or two, or around the mountain, I don't know how many times. <clears throat> but this time, I didn't forget him, and I was constantly memorizing scripture. But I was in and out of sin. I couldn't get permanently free. It was really very, very, very frustrating. <clears throat> but here's my point. God had plan B, and he never gave up on me. And he somehow orchestrated all the details that were needed, the right people, the right place, the right time, the right circumstances to get me free. And so I was in church one day and there was a visitor, a woman, and I met her later at the local grocery store and she looked at me and she said, come counsel with me, imagine that. So I said yes and we went to her church and they had been fasting on water for 10 days they did that at the beginning of every year um, to strengthen their church. Um, and so remember, I think it's in Matthew, Matthew 17 or something, the Lord says, some only come out with prayer and fasting. Well, I went on like day seven or six or something like that, and they had been, and they prayed for me. I told them everything, and they prayed for me. And I am convinced that it took the spiritual strength that was in the church, or was in that room at that time with those prayer warriors to get me free. And the next, um, <clears throat> that night I had a vision and I saw Satan and I saw my ex-husband and he had this diabolic grin like the Joker and they were both laughing and there was this coffin, supposedly the coffin was me. And <clears throat> we were, we were in the air, and we were above like what looked like the United States. And I guess I realized um, later on that was probably like a principality or something, I don't know. Um, and then I felt the hatred of Satan. And I've discussed this before, but um, it's hard to describe. And words really can't tell you the infinite opposite of infinite love. It was all evil, and it said, I want you dead. 
And it didn't just want me dead. It was lying even then. It wanted me mangled. It wanted me in pain. It wanted me writhing forever. The Bible is the truth. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and from that point on, I was both feet firmly planted on the right side of the line. And I think ever since that time, I've had an ever-increasing desire to um, see into that unseen realm and take, um, take authority against it in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I've also learned that you have better vision the more submitted you are to Christ. And um, I have discovered in recent years uh, a catalyst in that direction. Her name is Nancy Lee DeMoss-Wolgamuth. She's written three books, Brokenness, Surrender, and Holiness. And in closing, I'll read a prayer that she wrote to herself every day while she was writing Holiness. Oh God, show me more of your holiness. Show me more of my sinfulness. Help me to hate sin and love righteousness as you do. Grant me a deeper conviction of sin and a more thorough spirit of repentance. And make me holy as you are holy. Thank you. speaking, I've learned that the best way for me to do it is to write a script and read it. Um, but I'm not going to do that, so this may go off the rails, so apologize if I, if I do. But um, Okay, so I'm one of those folks that grew up in the church, and so kind of um, figuring out when I met the Lord is kind of hard. It's hard for me to point to any uh, particular time. Um, I was a Navy brat. My dad was uh, stationed in Long Beach. He was a plank owner for the USS Hewitt, a destroyer, uh, in the late 70s. Uh, so my mom was, they were newly married. My mom was home with me. He was out, out at sea quite a bit. And um, some of the earliest memories that I have and, and things that we have, you know, we have tape recordings from back in, back in that day. I don't, we do digital stuff now. But uh, tape recordings was uh, my mom... Um, doing uh, Bible verse memory with me, so John 1, um, you know, Galatians, uh, I still remember some of those things. I'm pretty sure that I uh, accepted the Lord at, at a young age. Uh, I don't remember it. Um, and um, I would say the evidence, the evidence of, of that was maybe a little spotty for a few years. Um, we moved uh, back and forth. My dad ended up leaving the Navy. He, he joined a defense contractor and San Diego, and uh, we worked. He worked there for a while. We lived in San Diego for a while. Moved to Tulsa. Worked. Lived in Tulsa for a while. Moved back to California. Moved back to Tulsa, and finally kind of settled here um, when I was about. Uh, well, it was '88, so I guess I was about 11, 11 years old. Um, and we joined a church called Ahava Community Fellowship, which many of you are familiar with. Um, it's uh, it's no longer meeting now. Um, but uh, we were we were there uh, really my entire childhood, and it was through um, Ahava that uh, we met a couple of sister churches, Bread of Life, which many of you are familiar with, and then Tulsa Christian Fellowship. And um, as as 
both churches were kind of getting to the, I don't know the specifics, but as both churches were getting to the point they had lots of teenagers and they wanted to figure out how they were going to support and, and empower teenagers, um, they basically got together with TCF and and, uh, and a bunch of us came to BASIC. So um, it was kind of in this um, really exciting uh, environment. It felt like being in a really big family where you can go to spend time with your aunts and uncles, you can... Uh, you know, do what, do whatever. You're, you're at a bunch of different churches. You know a bunch of different people. And what was weird about it was that they all loved you and they all supported you, and uh, all were interested in what um, what God had for you and how God was planning on using you. And and so it was a really um, a really great environment. Um, so I I also can't point to when I um, you know as Caleb was talking about when I made that relationship my own. I think it was probably, um, probably, you know, 12, um, 13, uh, kind of right as we were, right as we were getting, uh, getting started there at, at Ahava. Um, what was weird, I guess, was for me, it seemed like the biggest question in the world was, you know, does God exist or not? Um, so I don't know how many of you have this, but I'm, I'm one of those people that's kind of locked in their head a little bit, locked in their brain. They think their intellect is, is everything. And um, so the biggest question in the world was, does God exist or not? And um, I kind of puzzled over it for years and finally figured out that there's no way to prove that. You just have to decide. Um, you have to make, take a step of faith and, um, and, and go that way. And, and, and um, you know, so... So I took the step of faith and just said, okay, I, I do believe God exists. Um, I do believe um, that the Bible has something to say about the God that exists. Um, and, uh, you know, case closed, right? That's it. Um, now we go on and we, have, we live the rest of our lives and we're Christians and, and all this stuff. And um, what I kind of want to tell the story of is uh, what happened after that and um, how uh, God met me and continues to meet me through through my life, and um, you know, I, I think at that time I really want to talk about two um, two seasons in my life. Uh, so that one season was as a teenager. So growing up, really tumultuous time. Um, God met me through um, through these three churches and through the youth group here at TCF. And um, you know, we learned we learned to worship. Uh, we had some great teaching. Uh, we had a lot of fellowship. A lot of uh, conflict that we had to work out. We're teenagers, of course, we did. Um, but um, you know, really experienced a relationship with God uh, through discipleship, through worshiping the Lord, through meeting Him in worship, through prayer, um, through um, having needs and bringing them to our brothers and sisters, and and receiving prayer for that, and knowing that that um, you know we had people that. We're advocating for us that we're seeking the Father um, uh, on our behalf, and I would say also um, experiencing God through prophetic words through the churches, and, and so you know healthy expression of prophecy. But um, you know, but uh, you know, you're dealing with various situations, and the Lord would meet you with with something that was relevant from people that didn't have any clue what you were going going through, and. Um, so what I what I learned from that time was that um, you know the Lord is active now and um, and He wants to um, perfect me uh, amongst 
everyone else, and that one of his mechanisms for doing that is is through um, through the church and through the body around me. Um, so that's relevant for me because as I go through my life, I'm a fairly independent guy. Um, you know, for a lot of years here at TCF, um, Hannah and I were married. We had kids. Um, were you know, I was working at a pretty demanding job, a job that I was pretty well, um, pretty well uh, sold on, pretty well enmeshed with. It was pretty much everything uh, to me. And so, the second phase of my life that I want to talk about is is um, when I left when I left that job, uh, which was about three years ago now. Um, it was a it was a company that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life uh, at. It was a family owned company here in Tulsa, and um, it really uh, overtook my life. and And I would say I wasn't um, I wasn't part of the body uh, in any meaningful way. Um, and uh, my relationship with the Lord kind of stagnated uh, over those years. And so, kind of when we've we've heard several allusions to the story, the, the various um, uh, kinds of ground that seed landed on. You know, I guess mine was the was the uh, the ground with thorns that kind of rose up and choked out the seed. Um, and uh, it's funny because I I guess I I read that story and I thought it was kind of it's it's really it's got a beginning and an end, right? Like there's there's seed that's out there, and then there's various things that happen to various kinds of seed, and then there's an ending to the story. Um, and fortunately, that wasn't the ending to my story. So God, in His mercy. Um, uh, created a situation at work that I knew I had to leave. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, I still feel confident about what I, how I conducted myself at work. But I had to leave that role. Um, had to leave the company and didn't have uh, an alternative lined up. So, um, you know, I guess where where God met me there, um, it was a it was a very traumatic experience. It was um, experience that. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I experienced extreme anxiety, depression. Um, I was suicidal at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, where, where God really met me there was through my wife. And uh, just in, in uh, seeking him and meeting him in prayer every day and worshiping uh, and coming to church and uh, fellowshipping with people. Uh, legitimately, um, really uh, taking off this um, false independence that I'd carried around for a bunch of years. Um, so, I guess I don't. I didn't thank God for that experience at the time. I'm not sure that I do yet. Um, but uh, in some ways, it makes me think of some some things that I've read. There's a, a couple of things really re- in relation to C.S. Lewis. Um, there was a, a book that a guy named Sheldon Benakin, who knew C.S. Lewis, wrote called a, a Severe Mercy. And uh, if you haven't read it, uh, I, you should. It's a great it's a great uh, book. But it um, basically was uh, he knew C.S. Lewis um, and was about uh, his experience um, with God. Um, taking away things that were going to uh, separate him from from the Lord. So things that he loved, his uh, good things. His in this case, it was a relationship with his with his wife, the love of his life um, that had become an idol. So, you know, God God um, in His mercy took away his wife, and I would say, God in His mercy took away uh, this dream job of mine. 
Um, so there's that, and then and then the other thing I think of is is something from the Chronicles of Narnia, and um, if you remember the stories, Aslan is the is the um, the the story and the character who is the who is the Jesus character, um, is the is the God uh, 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 kind of analog in the story, and and everybody always says about Aslan he's not a tame lion, and um, I just want to say that to us, uh, I say it to myself that. God isn't a God who, um, you know, we accept and things just happen and there's nothing more demanded of us. God is about um, engaging with us in our lives, in our relationships, uh, in our work, in our families, uh, in our churches, and um, and He's about perfecting us. And um, He's not tame. He's not going to, um, you know, do things that are always nice. But um, God is good, and I affirm that and believe it, and I know that God has our best in mind, and so I just want to share that this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Margo and Tammy and Caleb. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. It's encouraging to all of us, I believe, to hear these stories. And uh, I don't know why this mic doesn't want to stand up. There we go. Okay. So uh, a couple things occur to me as we close. First of all, I think we heard in each one of these stories a perfect time, didn't we? There was God's timing in it. In other words, you know, Caleb, how, how in the world can somebody grow up at TCF and hear all the things that he hear and just have this shallow faith? But God had a time for Caleb to really grab his heart and get his attention, you know? God had a time for Tammy in the experience that she had to grab her heart. God has a perfect time. That's a kairos moment. We hear that from the Greek. It's a kairos moment. There's a perfect time for all of us. I think the other thing that I heard in, in all these stories was that, um, yeah, there's a moment when we, uh, maybe a moment, maybe, there's a, maybe it's more of a season when we realize, hey, my heart belongs to God. You know, for me, it was a season. I couldn't point to the day and the time, but I can point to the season of my life when this happened. But the other thing is that God not finished with us. And as Jason noted, you know, you, 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 you come to Christ, but God is always working. And he's always using the circumstances and the relationships. So even the, how he brings us to Christ is how he continues to sanctify us and move in our lives through the relationships and through his perfect timing. So... And I just want to say, you know, uh, two of these four, um, Margot and Tammy, are in my house church. And I've had just had the joy of having them sit and study the word with us. And I love seeing the expressions on both of their face when the light bulb goes on. And, it, man, it just, it's why I do what I do. It just blesses me to see when, when something is mentioned. And sometimes it's not even something I mention. It's like... Whoa, the light bulb goes on. They got it. They got something really important. The Lord was using those moments. So isn't it good to hear each other's stories? You know, we could, we could, uh, we could spend the next couple weeks here and, and listen to everybody's story, and it's good to hear them. But I was hoping for a good cross-section of different ways people have experienced their life in Christ, and I think we got that this morning. So let's stand together as we close. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can come to you as our Lord, 
because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, that you do have a perfect time for each of us, a perfect time to reach out and grab our hearts and encourage us and prompt us to trust in Christ for our salvation. We're grateful that after that happens, you don't just leave us, Lord, but you change us more and more day by day through difficult things even, Lord. You change us more and more day by day into the image and likeness of Christ. We thank you, Father, that you sovereignly chose to draw us into your kingdom. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we hear these stories, Lord, and hear the people that were involved in these stories, that we would be a people that other people could testify about, yes, this person from TCF was in my life, and yes, because they spoke to me and they loved me and they cared about me and they, uh, they shared their life in Christ with me, that today I can walk with you and serve you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd prompt us to uh, have those kind of relationships and look for those opportunities to share our faith with others. Father, even as uh, Caleb said, that we would have a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy in all of our lives and that uh, we would look for that Timothy that we could share Christ with and share our life in Christ with and be a mentor to. We thank you for these things, Lord. Thank you for your great love and your mercy at work in our hearts and in our lives and ask for your blessing as we're dismissed. In Jesus' name, amen.